0: Hi Theatre Thoughts fans! Before we start this episode, please be aware the episode references topics such as mental health, violence, prostitution and suicide. There are links to support services such as Lifeline and Beyond Blue in this episode's description where you can find more information.
1: The first thing that comes to mind for me is that you surround yourself with really good people and that you network, but not because you want to get a job. You network because you want to find your people and that you build your own circle because that circle will absolutely be your ticket through.
2: I think especially as an actor, finding something outside of the theatre world to throw your passion behind is really important. Like for me, it's my history my studies and it just, it makes you a more rounded person, a more interesting person and a a person who, you know, isn't tunnel visioned on this is all I can do. Cause th- when you hit something like a global pandemic and it's what you can't do, it helps you survive the times where you're not working.
3: You know, find your collaborators. It's, this is not a solo art form, but the collaborations that I have with my creative team, some of which I've worked with over years and years, and then the, the process and the collaboration with, with artists and performers is, you know, I guess what makes why I keep doing it, because it's those, those relationships and those friendships.
0: You're listening to the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. My name's Justin, or you can call me Stin. We're bringing you a two-part episode today, focusing on one of the most vital sectors of the theatrical world, independent theatre. We're joined by Theatre Travel's artistic coordinator Carly Fisher, performer Sonia Kerr and director and producer Dino Dimitriatus to discuss their current and past involvements in independent theatre as well as answering that most important question... How do you make art and survive in the theatre industry? Don't forget to like and subscribe to our Instagram at TheatreThoughtsAUS as we bring you a whole bunch of new episodes this coming month. You can also find behind-the-scenes content on our TikTok account, Theatre underscore Thoughts, as well as our YouTube channel. So, sit back, relax and enjoy this deep dive into independent theatre on the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. We have a joint episode today, so I'm talking with our first independent theatre artist today. Joining us we have Carly Fisher and Sonia Kerr, who are currently in rehearsals for the Sweet Science of Bruising, which is playing at the Flight Path Theatre from the 15th of June to the 2nd of July. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks so much for having Thank
0: us. you. You're very welcome. So the two of you have an extensive background in the independent theatre scene. So Carly, you're a director and a producer. You're the founder of Theatre Travels. You're also the artistic director of Theatre Travels, which is awesome. With them, you've produced 19 shows and you've directed nine, which is a massive feat. And then you've also created and produced the No Intermission Festival as well. So you've been all over the place.
1: It's been a busy few years. Absolutely. I launched 20, uh, 2018. November 2018 was the first Theatre Travels production. So we, uh, the Sweet Science of Brewsing marks the 20th production and my 10th directing for Theatre Travels. So, Excellent. yeah, it's it's been a busy four years.
0: I love nice round numbers, so that's really special.
1: Me too. It just worked out so well. And it's the biggest show that we've done. The only other show that was of such a large scale was the very first one, so... If this is 20, I can't wait to see what, like, the 50th show is. Like, what an oh
2: anime God. Can you
0: imagine?
1: <laughs> I can't either. This show's huge.
0: <laughs> and, uh, and Sonia, so you've worked with uh, multiple theatres. You've worked with The New Theatre, Theatre Travels, uh, She Shakespeare, Genesian Theatre, Vox Theatre. You've also appeared in short films and several feature films. And you've worked with Bus Stop Films and the award-winning Workmate and Heartbreaking Beauty. So you've also been very, very busy.
2: Yes, a little bit of everything. I like to uh, keep myself busy, and um, you know, downtime is not a thing for me. I don't think anymore. But um, I, I, you know, it's one of the, it's a beautiful industry, and so trying to do as much as possible as you can in all different facets, I think, is really important. So that's what I no, do. I
0: totally agree. There is no such thing as downtime for me. I come home from my my money job, and then I come here, and this is like my other job, uh, where I just like. <laughs> Exactly, soul. this is the soul, you yeah, cherishing job. This job.
1: I have heart job and head job. Yeah. <laughs> that's I split it.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's actually the best way to describe it. <laughs> so with the two of you, give us a brief rundown of your history. I know I kind of like uh, talked quickly about a few things, but talk about where did your passion come from?
1: You gave a, a good summary there. Um, I can tell you honestly, I've never wanted to do anything else. I was so lucky that my mum really exposed me to the theatre very early in life and has really made both theatre and travelling huge priorities in my upbringing and so whenever either were possible we were there and this merging of different cultures and how people interpret stories has just long been a passion and I grew up thinking that I had to be an actor, I think lots of people do and um, only when I hit uni and an opportunity one day to direct popped up and I went oh i Can try uh did that even cross my mind and it was one of those things that the minute I started it I was like I think I I think I can't stop I think this I think I'm stuck (laughs) um and I I read a great quote once that was you know it's along the lines of if you are thinking of being an actor and you can do anything else do that Um, because it's certainly not an easy industry and particularly in the independent sector and I think that what makes it so special is that I now have realized of myself and of all of those who surround me we really can't do anything else this is where our heart really truly is and I think that that's why you know the more that the company does the more I do the more people I work with things are becoming more and more successful because I'm realizing that I'm only surrounding myself with people for whom this is a reason not just to get up in the morning it's it's you know it's It's our everything and and that's the the spirit you feel come to the stage with these shows. So to answer your question a little bit more, that's, I don't know, I I never wanted to do anything else is the true answer. And so in 2018, I launched um, Theatre Travels because I really wanted to see someone in Sydney do a 20th anniversary production of the Laramie Project. I loved the show. Yeah. I had loved the show for years. It was the twentieth uh, year since Matthew Shepard was murdered, and I went, "Why? Why is Sydney the only city not doing this? How do I make it happen? I'll do it." And um, and so began a wild adventure. And so, uh, by twenty nineteen, we launched the No Intermission Festival, and that was a huge adventure and it's so fulfilling in that it was designed particularly to create opportunities for emerging artists and it was a great way to give a lot of people a lot of a, a new networking opportunity, a chance to really work on shows that would get fully funded and would be of professional scale but in the independent sector and yeah. open to newcomers and that really was a game changer for theatre travels and because of that, we've, yeah, COVID notwithstanding, this is the 20th show since November 2018 and I'm I'm really proud of that. Um, through COVID, we still managed to get seven shows up in 2020 and
0: 2021. Oh, wow. That's a lot.
1: Yes, it is. It's been a busy few years. We've toured, we've, you know, it's just been such an exciting adventure. And I think what I love most about it is that as much I am such a planner, And I still can never plan what's coming next with this company. I (laughs) never know. I just sort of follow the wind on this one. And so far it's working. So we'll keep doing it.
0: I think that's awesome. Like to do that many, especially throughout, you know, our weird 2020, 2021 that we had, like that's, a that takes a lot of, I don't think people understand how much that actually takes. Like I was working on committee of a small community theater. And I know like, just from that perspective, how much that was like pushback, pushback, pushback. Like, it's a
1: lot of resilience yeah. and a lot of trust from those working with you that, you know, if they stay committed, there will be a some sort of, something will come of it. And I'm so lucky. I mean, the 2020 No Intermission that became the 2021 No Intermission that then toured in 2022, one of the shows, no one left they were That's cast so good, in 2019 yeah. and we finished the show with in 2022 with the same cast
0: Did you have any like similar things sonia when like throughout like your experience with lockdown did you were you cast in anything and you stayed on throughout
2: uh the no intermission festival oh right uh, that was actually yeah. i was cast in 2019 for in their footsteps uh for a verbatim theater piece about uh, american women's experience during the vietnam war uh which was the first time i'd met Carly and and had auditioned for for theater travel. So I was cast in 2019, got the phone call just before Christmas. I was like, yay, I'm gonna do this show. I'm so excited. And then 2020 happened. And I was like, okay, let's see what happens. And so I think most artists, most actors throughout that whole lockdown period kind of had that weird sense of, wait, I what what is my life now i i am not rehearsing i'm not doing anything i'm not what do i how do i fulfill myself and how do i keep going uh but i was very lucky that i had you know i knew carly was very open she was like this is happening this play is going on i don't know when i don't know how <laughs> but it is happening and uh so i was like all right well cool i'll hitch my uh, my wagon to that and i am i'm on board and we did we got it on and we did a c a sydney season then jokingly at the end of that we were like haha when do we go on tour gal was like no no serious do you want to?" <laughs> <laughs> so then we went to canberra <laughs> then we did a-, a season um at the adelaide fringe as well oh, so wow. it was remarkable <laughs> that that was uh A little driving force, a little burning light throughout that entire dark time of uh, being locked down as an artist, yeah. Yeah,
0: I think it's like, it is hard, and especially because I know people are shouting out, um, you know, for obviously uh, assistance from the government and things like that, and when I think it's such a weird, it it was such a weird time that a lot of artists went through where we go, oh, our literal, like, life is gone. Like, it's gone, you know, and I know it was for a lot of other people as well, but I think for artists it's... It was a very hard time to find that sense of what do I do now? Do I have to get like a normal job and like work the nine to five? Do I have
1: to become normal? (laughs) (laughs) Very much. It was a really, especially I think in the independent sector, because, you know, I think that we were all hyper aware that government assistance was limited as we all know it was, and that limited funding very rarely gets shared with independent and, For a lot of companies, mine included, you're not quite a small business because you're an arts business, but you're not quite big enough to fight with, well, you know, we're near big enough to take on the funding of what the opera house, like they needed it more. (laughs) And so so you're left totally alone in that. And so it, I think for the independent sector, that was especially true. There was a lot more uncertainty of, I think everyone always knew the industry would come back, that jobs would reappear, that audiences would one day go back. I don't think anyone questioned that. It was just, can I continue to play this game? Which is really tough when this is, your entire life and this is your your mm. purpose so I think that that was probably that big fear and then also just trying I think I don't know about uh, other artists certainly I was like I need to find something creative I'm going stir crazy oh, because I yes. don't have a creative outlet and it's not like normally you can just go take a dance class or an acting class or something. But you couldn't do anything. I personally started a new Instagram account. That was my bigger creative outlet.
0: Oh, I have to ask you. You're not um, through my sunglasses, through my sunny eye. through my. Sunglasses. Oh, you are. No. Okay. Now I have That to was tell my COVID my, outlet. That was my COVID outlet. Oh, my I started <laughs> my my one because I just came off working with uh top deck and yeah. uh, and flight center so my thing was gone i started it was, it was really bad it was called stin the traveling ginge was mine I, and I don't
1: know yeah was, we, i know because i
0: think i messaged you once
1: that's hilarious oh
0: my god wow oh that's such goodness. a small world yeah because i think i saw you at a show once when i was reviewing and i was like is that, is that no, no, it can't be, can't be. Yes. Yeah, it's that, that funny. my
1: COVID alter ego. I was like, you know what? I needed to do something to just make myself go out and live my life again. And that was my, it's probably same as you. That was my grand solution was, I don't know, I'll try travel blogging. I've wanted to do it for years. Now I have time.
0: Yeah. Let's swing it back. Cause that was, such, I had to, I was like hilarious. thinking it the entire time. I was like, I'm going to have to ask her. Uh, let's swing it back to the sweet science of bruising.
1: What a great segue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the sweet science of bruising. Tell me about it. Cause I, I'm going to admit, I don't know too much about it. Um, why this play for number 20?
1: I think that's a really great question. Um, when I sat down to so I found this play when I was in London pre-COVID and I picked it up just because the picture on the front was really cool and it was a perfect instance of judge a book by its cover Um, I was like I'm interested I'm intrigued by its title and its appearance and so my relationship with this play was very accidental Um, from first read when I read a play, I my brain is constantly on what is the call to action? What am I trying to, why? Why do you see this? What do you achieve from seeing this as an audience member? And as soon as I read through this, it's set in 1869. It's a period piece. And yet every issue that we discuss is so relevant. It's completely a 2022 story and so as soon as I realized that I was like there's the call to action if we don't change if we don't change the way we talk about these issues we are still going to be discussing these things 200 years from now and in this play we're talking about women's equality educational equality and opportunity women's rights um, domestic violence abortion we cover an awful lot in two and a half hours and um, and yet it's done through boxing and these gorgeous big period costumes it's a light night out but the more you sit down and think about it there's nothing light about it particularly for sonia's character art
0: and sonia what's been your experience with it And, and can you tell us like a little bit about your character don't give too much away but like a little bit about your character
2: i i also i also came across this play in 2018 in a completely different way to carly i was listening to a podcast And they were interviewing one of the original actresses who was at that time rehearsing for this show. And they were talking about uh, as a female on stage, being violent, being angry, being physical and showing that and kind of almost reveling in the physicality of being a woman doesn't get shown very often. And she was talking about, you know, learning how to box and how to punch. I'm like, what is this play? So I looked it up, found it, read it and was like, oh, my lordy, I I would love if somebody in Australia could do this. But ugh, it's never going to happen. It's a British story set in England. It's set in the Victorian period. It's set. It's got 10 characters. There is no way independent theatre is going to do this. Cut to, <laughs> again, probably probably the same night when we joked about taking in their footsteps on tour. Talking about plays that we love and that we want to do. And I was sitting there, I'm like, oh my God, I read this play about the set in the Victorian era about these women boxing. And Carly's like, sweet signs of bruising. I'm like, what? Who, how? How has it happened? Um, and for me, it, it, it's also, I mean, I'm also a, a budding historian. I'm, I'm currently studying history, and my focus is 19th century female stories. Um, and so to have acting and history kind of come together in one piece is almost like a dream come true. If I can interrupt for a second there, it's
1: a dream come true to have someone, we have like a resident historian. Any question I have. Oh my gosh, we're like doing a scene. I'm like, Sonia, were cotton balls invented yet? Okay, thank you.
2: Keep acting. It <laughs> does happen. It does happen. Every yeah. day. <laughs> but I, um, I find it quite interesting because the stories that we hear of the 19th century of women are... Often suffragette stories, brilliant. We get the votes for women Mm -hmm. stories. We don't get the story of the lower classes, of the working class, unless it's um, how horrific their lives are, how awful it was, how violent and... Uh, short their lives were. We don't get to see uh, the human side of the working class very often. Uh, it's changing. We are there are TV shows and things that are coming out, but it's a slow process. And then on the other side of that, which is where my character comes in, I play Anna Lamb. She is a member of the relatively newly formed middle class, which was emerging in the 19th century, and her story arc is really about the the false facade of respectability and although people can look put together and speak well and have everything that they possibly desire, underneath that there is a dark current of uh, potentially sometimes violence of um, more con- more control being taken away from their lives this kind of the beings being forced to to fit that domestic angel sphere that was um ordered, especially in the 19th century and you know the sweet science of bruising covers all of this plus a myriad of other things <laughs> um which is just really fascinating for the audience i i think i i hope when people come and see the show, a they're going to be thoroughly entertained by women in corsets doing boxing matches. Brilliant. Brilliant. entertaining. But also, you know, as Carly was saying, you know, it is a call to action to make them go, look. These are the. This is what we were dealing with in 1869. And this is what we're still dealing with in 2022. How have we not evolved? How have we not changed? How is legislation not changed? Why are we still? And you see, especially when it comes to the topic of women's bodies and body autonomy. I mean, you see that the pictures of older ladies going, I can't believe I'm still protesting this. And it's the same thing. You know, it's been going on forever. The other thing that really drew me to this
1: script was that it was a play that had four female protagonists. And my big thing with theatre travels has always been to tell really authentic and whole female stories, because in 2018, uh, the reason I started a company aside from wanting to do a show, um, I could have done that without a company. But I wanted the company behind me because there were very few opportunities for Uh, female directors to come up very few opportunities for female crew members to get a to get an in Um, and the stories if you if you cast your mind back to 2018 what we were constantly hearing about every main stage uh, main stage company was that the female characters were side pieces they were inauthentic they were just they were nothing and I thought well that's not fair (laughs) I'm not having that (laughs) so let's change it let's make a company that wants to do female-driven stories and that wants to specifically focus on women in leadership in in the theatre and how can we foster that and how can we grow together. Um, And so that was why Theatre Travel started.
0: Well, I, I, you can tell like because you speak with so much passion about it so you can tell like how much like this is you're so driven by it, which is which is so lovely to hear Before I let you guys go back to your rehearsals I just have one question that I want uh, both your opinions on I'd like to know for those people who are currently in university or soon to be graduating or people who just want to get into mm-hmm. the industry how do you make art And survive in the independent theatre world?
1: The first thing that comes to mind for me is that you surround yourself with really good people and that you network, but not because you want to get a job. You network because you want to find your people and that you build your own circle because that circle will absolutely be your ticket through. Not that you should be riding on the coattails of someone else, but that you need, you you cannot do this industry independently. You can't go alone. You need to have a solid resource of other people, whether that's because as a group, you make an amazing team of a director, a sound designer, a lighting designer, and you're working together on every project, but that's one approach. Another approach is just to know who your support system is, because it's really not very easy. It can be very lonely and isolating. You definitely notice that you are drifting into new social circles that are completely your cast <laughs> um because you don't have time for, for everyone you knew before that show um, it, it it definitely has a has a hint of uh, social isolation to it and yet you do it because you know that everyone else around you and this is in my opinion the most important thing you have to know that everyone else around you believes in this, wants this and drives this as much as you do. And then you have the logistics of obviously you need to be able to eat. So you need to work and you need to manage your time and you need to find projects that properly can accommodate, you know, both sections of your life. But life is so much more exciting when you're doing what really you're so passionate about, I think. And I I think those sacrifices more than pay off. Um, but for me, it would be find the people. Great answer. I like That's
2: it. Such a good answer. now I'm supposed to answer. Oh, Surely yeah. you have like some more
1: yeah. <laughs> Mine's a bit of like a like a highfalutinator, isn't it? I
2: agree. Surrounding yourself with a support group who understands your madness, I think is really important. <laughs> um, because independent theater especially is all-consuming. When you're in that project, there is no time for anything else. So kind of surrounding yourself with people who either you're doing the show with or who understand that, no, I'm not going to see you for the next three months, but I love you. Uh, My husband is one of those people. (laughs) He's just gotten used to it. But I also think, you know, there is a balance of, you know, you can spend, you can put 100% of yourself into theatre, just theatre, nothing else, great. But I think, especially as an actor, finding something outside of the theatre world to throw your passion behind is really important. Like for me, it's my history, my studies, and it just, it makes you a more rounded person, a more interesting person and a a person who, you know, isn't tunnel visioned on this is all I can do. Cause th- when you hit something like a global pandemic and it's what you can't do, you know, it, it helps you survive the times where you're not working of which as we all know, an independent theater can be anywhere between, you know, a month and two years. So I think support is very important. Your group of friends, your, you know, your loved ones around you can support you in your madness, but also finding other ways to release that madness into the world is a really, really important thing to do.
1: And then when theatre goes from being your hobby and becomes your career, you need a new hobby or you're not, you're not going to feel that you lose something. And so finding a new hobby when you realize that you've, you've done the ultimate, right? You've managed to turn your passion into your profession. There's nothing better than that. That is huge goal, but don't lose the other side of yourself. So when, when that hobby goes, you've got to replace it. I highly recommend Instagram. It's worked really well for the two of us.
2: <laughs> <laughs> to vibe.
0: It works Oh, I was uh, like coming back. I was like watching YouTube videos. I was looking at the algorithm. I figured out how the algorithm worked. And I was just like, I'm in it, man. This is good.
2: My Instagram is literally just a place I put photos of my cat. Yeah. <laughs> like... I- like that's
1: it there's
0: also a spot for that
1: yeah yeah I <laughs> yeah. uh, my whole like thing was I'll learn how to photo edit and that will be creative and then I'll have a creative outlet through COVID and, and that will be the best thing ever, but I haven't learned how to photo edit. I've just learned that Lightroom is an easy app.
0: Yeah. Very <laughs> easy apps <laughs> out there. Just chuck them in there. You're good to go. Yeah.
1: And then if you buy other people's presets, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Very simple Perfect. stuff.
0: Well, Carly, Sonia, thank you so much for jumping on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to the two of you and getting your insights. You filled me with a lot of passion, which is great. Thank Sometimes, you. you know, that flame burns down you just got to oh, pick yourself up again. It's beautiful.
2: It will always, there is always something to blow those embers back into a exactly. flame. Exactly. Always. Absolutely. And we love what we do.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think that's great. You got to love what you do. Well, The Sweet Science of Reason, like I said, plays from the 15th of June to 2nd of July. You can get tickets at Human Ticks or by heading over to org. So I suggest getting on it now because it sounds like this is a sellout show just waiting to happen.
1: From your lips. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Excellent, well thank you so much and have fun at your rehearsals
1: Thank you so much, thanks for having us We'll see you at the show
0: We have two double passes to give away to The Sweet Science of Bruising for any performance of your choice All you need to do is head to the giveaway section of our website theatrethoughtsoz.online Select The Sweet Science of Bruising giveaway and fill out the form Entries close Monday the 13th of June at 11.59pm Australian Eastern Standard Time Terms and conditions apply Refer to our website for more information The word is out. The Theatre Thoughts Monthly is here and it's your chance to get exclusive giveaways, podcast episodes, reviews and more direct to your inbox. Don't wait until next month. Get this month's Theatre Thoughts Monthly now. It takes two seconds to sign up. Simply head to the link in this episode's description and select the Theatre Thoughts Monthly option to fill in your details. It's that simple. You'll receive links direct to this month's edition of Charlotte's Cheap Thrills, early access to an exclusive giveaway only for Theatre Thoughts subscribers and the early goss on our next massive star on the podcast. Now, let's get back to today's episode. Okay, welcome back to part two of our two-part episode. We are talking with another independent theatre artist who's been very heavily involved in the Sydney theatre scene and beyond. They are an award-winning director. They worked on Angels in America Part 1 and 2 for Red Lion and Apocalypse, which they received three Sydney Theatre Awards for. And they also directed a queer reading of Mary Zimmerman's Metamorphosis, which also received four Sydney Theatre Awards. Please welcome to the podcast, Dino Dimitriadis. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You are more than welcome. Um, it's great to talk to you because you have a, a a great history and experience in the independent theatre scene. So I'd love to get your insight on on your journey.
3: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Well, let's start with who you are for those who aren't familiar with your work and and where your passion sort of came from.
3: Sure. So I've been making independent theatre for. For 12 years, I sort of started making independent work in the community theatre space, believe it or not, when I was very young and got to experience what it was to make theatre, got to learn a lot of things. And then over the years, started a company, started Apocalypse, to be able to make uh, works that I thought weren't being represented on stage. Uh, it, It wasn't just about giving myself an opportunity to sort of make certain works, but to actually start building a community of artists who are interested in a, you know, in a certain type of work or work that wasn't easily being programmed. And over those years, I've done a lot of work with that company. I've, I've also worked uh, on on some subsidized stages and I also work as a producer and curator um, across the sector as well. I guess, Increasingly, my work is very queer-focused. Uh, the last sort of five, six years, most of the projects I'm attached to are driven by queer artists, have a sort of queer lens on them. And that is something uh, as a queer person and as a gender diverse person that I am very interested in uh, finding more pathways for not just the content, but for those artists to be working on the stage.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important, especially for as our like theatre scene becomes much more diverse to have those voices and to have those lens really adds more well, flavouring mm-hmm. and diversity, which is exactly what it needs, isn't it?
3: Yeah. And it's about, you know, I think in the last few years, we've seen so much conversation around the D word diversity and, and and representation. Mm. Um, But really what I think the stage has been trying to do is it's actually be reflective of, of society. You know, I think, I think we see, we see diversity as such a conscious process and it, and it is because it's so overdue. Um, So there's needed to be a, a sort of, Concerted effort to think about strategies and, and and ways to create pathways. But at the end of the day, what it, what it is is we make theatre to tell stories and to bring people together. And the content on the stage, uh, you know, should should reflect the audiences in front of it, and those audiences and that content should should represent you know the world beyond the theatre. Um, and that's the move we're we're slowly making. You know, the challenge there is the structures need to be in place to support those underrepresented voices that have been excluded for so long but and that's the challenge from a, a internal sector perspective.
0: Yeah well you're currently working on Cleansed by Sarah Kane uh, mm. which goes from the 9th of June to the 25th of June. So where does where does cleanse come into that perspective and that kind of um, motivation for
3: you? Look Cleansed is a work that would not be touched really by a subsidized company. It is a work that is very rarely rarely staged. Uh, Kane, uh was a, you know, playwright who's who operated largely in, in in the '90s and late '90s when this particular play was written. Uh, wrote five plays and uh, you know t- took her life after she wrote the fifth the, the fifth play. Her body of work is very provocative and very complex to stage. And even within that body of work, this particular play, Cleansed, is the least produced it is extreme but it is also presents really significant challenges in bringing it to the stage and so in a way it it sort of captures what for me independent theater is for and can do i've never seen the work i make on the independent stage as and let's really define what independent is at the end of the day it means unsubsidized i mean you know i i don't sort of see main stage and independent what we do independently is often main stage quality. Yeah. It's really coming down to, to the resource allocation. But when it comes to content, because we're you know operating, in this case, in a smaller venue, and because we are operating in the structure we are, it really comes down to risk. And this is a work that has so many levels of high risk attached to it that it wouldn't be done if it wasn't being done independently.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Why do you think she's had such this legacy that is so, well, I mean, kind of still relevant in a lot of people's lives? And why, I guess, why why is cleanse not performed? Is it because of its, you know, its provocative, like, nature and its intense
3: themes? I think so. You know, I think with, with 448, it's a very extreme mental work, It's ultimately about mental health and mental illness and obviously the psychological demands on its cast are significant when it comes to entering a a, a psychological space that that work demands. With something like Cleanse, you've got that extreme psychological and emotional space but you also have artists um, asked to simulate sex. There is extreme violence in the work. There is drug consumption. There is full nudity in Cleanse. You know, the the demands pile up and for all those reasons, and I guess also the conceptual framework of that play, it's it's not done. Cleansed is so open to interpretation, like so much of Kane's work. And really, she gives extraordinary provocations in Cleansed that require the artists working on it to to work out what it is they want to do with that play. You know I am not doing a revival of cleansed. I am coming to it to make a show for twenty twenty two with a company of queer artists, and we are saying something using that text the The sort of irony of all of this is I think that cleansed is her most hopeful work right. and it has a tenderness and a beauty to it that for me actually overshadows the extremity of the work and the and the sort of darker moments and you know, I, I hope people can come and see the production because what we've not done is it's not a horror show and it's not something that is that is an exercise in presenting Sarah Kane. We've we've, we've actually written a love letter with this production.
0: Wow, that's beautiful. And that's, that sounds very unique as well.
3: Yeah, you sort of come to it and you've got to decide, you know, what, apart from the fact that it's really staged and you've got to really ask yourself why are you doing it? And I think that, you know, the thing about any Kane work, is it, it, it operates on several planes. You know, there's there's a plane of realism and sort of naturalism. There are real things that are happening. But Kane's, Kane's goal, I think, uh, especially in a work like Cleansed, is to essentially interrogate what the experience of the human soul is under extreme conditions. And what she recognised so brilliantly is that it is impossible to put the human soul on a stage, you know, how do you have that conversation? So what she Mm -hmm. does is she uses the body as a metaphor for the soul. So if a character is in an act of sexual intimacy, it's not just about the sex. If something's happening to a character with violence, it's not about the act of violence. She is using the body as a side of experience to basically scratch out what the soul is going through. And it's that tension that, that, that cleanse explores, which is why the demand on the bodies of the actors is so extreme. In 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 a work like that, and to your earlier question about you know why does she have this this kind of history? Why is she? You know, I think at the time she she you know she she was part of a movement in theatre that was really interrogating what risk in the theatre looked like and what theatre could say as a live medium. Yeah, and you know she she gained this you know reputation, and I think largely because she took her life. You know, I'm sort of not interested in that whole baggage of the suicide and, you know, this kind of, I think at the end of the day, you have this astonishing playwright whose five works. I can't tell you what it's like to think it's great and then be in a rehearsal room and actually realise how much she's, how many clues and how much she's built into the work. Really? Um, Okay. It's, you know, there's times when a scene's not working and you go, this just rhythmically feels odd. And then you look at the script and it goes, oh, there's, someone strokes someone's hair or there's a silence there and a silence is longer than a pause and you do it and suddenly it fixes the whole moment. Um,
0: They must be like really special moments as like from a director's perspective. It's, it's
3: really special and it's kind of um, you really feel a connection to what the playwright was intending. And in the absence of being able to talk to the playwright and there, there are those magical moments that you go, Oh, I'm getting closer to, to really understanding that whilst I can bring my vision and 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 reinterpret, that I still have to honor this text as an astonishing document that gives us the blueprint for how to approach this world. Yeah. And I think the significant thing is that Cain was so ahead of her time. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And I think finally the time has caught up with Kane.
0: Isn't that interesting? Because like you're right, she does like a lot of her themes and a lot of her work. Uh, especially mental illness as nowadays it's it's in the zeitgeist in terms of our conversations it's becoming more recognized which is so so important I have a big passion for it and like not even like what 10 years ago uh, they, it it's not even talked about. It, it's like pushed to the side or there's all these conversations. And I I love that comment, actually, that the times have
3: actually caught up to Kane. I think that's mm. perfect. And it, and, and it very much feels it. And I think now you kind of look at reviving this production in the context of all these issues that feel so uh, sort of timely. And it's extraordinary to, to kind of see how how different it is to experience this work even than what it would have been, like you say, five years ago.
0: I want to talk about uh, a little bit more about the the independent scene. So I guess what what I've been talking about with other artists is why independent artists and making sure we foster the independent scene. And I love that you defined it earlier as well. I think a lot of people don't think about Mm. it in that sense. Why it's important to focus on this sector in our theatrical society.
3: Well, the, the unfunded stages have driven all the conversations that have made their way to the funded stages. Diversity did not start in our subsidised companies. You know, representing ge- cultural diversity did not start there. Gender diversity did not start there. Risk-taking in form and did not start in our subsidised companies. Queer work, which has now made its way into our subsidised larger stages, started in the, in the unsubsidized stages. So it's been that cauldron of risk taking and things that the, 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 the independent in the sense of, you know, untethered to certain partnerships or realities and also unsubsidized has been able to drive a lot of the conversations that have made their way into the sector. It's, it's always bottom up um, when it comes to driving the mm-hmm. content you know, and you take someone like even Kane as an example. I mean, she's had a couple of subsidised productions, largely of Blasted, another one of her plays, and sometimes 448, but even that's deemed too dark for most subsidised companies and too fragmented. So much of the riskier work that's being done on the subsidised stages is because there's been a culture created for it on the unsubsidized stages. So in one respect, it's a place for... Um, new and uh, I guess early career artists to be seen to try things to evolve but you know for me as a as an artist who does also work on the subsidized stage it's working independently and working in this context is where I take the biggest risk yeah it's where I'm not concerned about having to you know to deal with a, a, a thousand seat venue or having to hold a season of, you know, of subscribers over a period of time. And so it's it's about risk and it's about play, I think, ultimately.
0: I, like, I think uh, this is like uh, what I'm hearing a lot, which I love, is that idea of play, that you can play around with stuff. You can take mm. these risks, you can foster these new ideas, which are reflective of who we are and, and who are, like, who are the people that are putting their bums on the seats for you. Yeah, it,
3: it, exactly. And you find your own sort of audience for for the kind of work because there is, you know, I even look, I, I, I think theatre has fundamentally changed post-pandemic um, or, or pandemic present, however you kind of want to see it. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it's audiences, like we are audiences, you and I are audiences, you know, I make decisions about what I go and see. And I think there is... A, a real craving for um, content that isn't just entertaining, that sometimes is provocative, but it's challenging, that is part of a bigger night out. You know, there's so many reasons why people might now kind of choose to go to the theater. And that is shifting. I think it has shifted.
0: I think, and I've also said, oh, actually, I've said something similar to what you were saying about the after the, you know, pandemic or um, whatever you want to kind of call this time period that we're in, um, that this change is is coming and i kind of was like thinking mm. about like the repetition of history after plagues and and you know even like the black plague. If you want to go all the way back to the black plague there was the renaissance and i hope that we're in our renaissance now of change yeah you know and rebirth which is fingers crossed that's the goal
3: yeah absolutely and you know people the thing that people always say is the theater's been you know, going for 2,000 years or or Western theatre very specifically because it's been going for a lot longer in other cultures. But, you know, it survived this long, it will keep surviving. But, you know, there's so many things they don't factor into that. They don't factor the ecological crisis that we're living in. And they also don't, importantly, don't factor in technology. I mean, how we're consuming content digitally now did not exist 200 years ago, 50 years ago, let alone 2,000 years ago. Exactly. So... We're in a reckoning moment, and I think I think the face of theatre is going to shift tectonically over the next five years. I'm very excited to see how
0: it does. I'm a little bit, like, hesitant, but I'm also, like, I'm very excited at the same yeah. time. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, totally.
0: So I want to ask you how to make art. This is a question I asked our other guests. I, I want to know for university students who are, or, or people who are nearing the end of their career or wanting to get involved in theatre – how do you make art and survive in the theatre industry?
3: Yeah, what a question. Yeah, that's
0: what they said. Those are the same uh, thing. <laughs> yeah.
3: Look, it's it's an incredible industry to work in, but it is a very tough industry to work in. And I think, you know, the biggest disservice someone could make is say, oh, yeah, it's all great. It's, it's not. It's difficult. And it's difficult to kind of find a sustainable um, career in this industry. I think... My, my advice or my sort of suggestions for it for for thinking about it especially for earlier career artists is one I think it's really important to not feel like you have to prove yourself by replicating other things you are more likely to carve a place when you find your point of view and your voice and you explore that um there are other people doing those other things so it is your perspective and what you have to say about the world that's ultimately going to be the thing that is that is interesting. And sort of piggybacking on from that, this idea of, for me, what's really important and what has allowed me to keep working for so long in the theatre is broadening my understanding of what a sustainable practice is. I think some people think success is kind of doing a show here and then being on the STC stage and then... But, you know, there's so many people who have done the STC stage and now are not working. They had a moment, you know. I think it's about a sustainable practice. And I think that means that it's completely fine to be multi hatted and to have different ways of navigating income streams. I mean, one of the biggest reasons that I'm able to be a practicing director and do shows every year is because I work substantially as a producer and a curator. So I, I do a lot of work as a producer and curator. And that allows me to then explore my directing practice without without the strain of feeling like I should only be directing but also without the strain of having to take every gig because I can now choose the directing gigs based on what is what am I exploring what do I want to say it isn't just about directing it's actually about the the art and so that's what I would kind of suggest. And my my third and final kind of piece of advice is, you know, find your collaborators. It's, this is not a solo art form. Directing is very isolating and pro- po- probably not as isolating as being a playwright, but it's a very sort of lonely place because whilst you collaborate with a lot of people, you're also having to carry a lot and conceive a lot and it's a certain kind of space. But the collaborations that I have with my creative team, some of which I've worked with over years and years, and then the, the process and the collaboration with, with artists and performers is, you know, I guess what makes why I keep doing it because it's those, those relationships and those friendships but find your collaborators, find the people whose ideas and view of the world sort of speaks to yours and also reach out to people. You know, I say this all the time when I speak of things or I speak to students. I'm like, email people. Some of the, yeah. some of the biggest opportunities or things that I have gotten is because I've made a really bold ask and a cold approach to a maker that really excites me. And I know that if someone does the same to me and they have, I'm going to engage with that because I know where I had to come from. So, you know, we we are actually very approachable. I, some, I sometimes fall into that trap and
0: I, got, I kind of get a little bit hesitant to go up and talk to people in foyers. And I've had, like, people say to me, you got to just get over it. Just go and do it. They're not silly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's great. That's a great answer. Thank you so much. You speak with such passion and intelligence, um, which is... Is so nice to hear and I think it will make for a great episode, which is good. Oh, thank you so much. It's been
3: lovely chatting.
0: Yeah, thank you. Well, Cleansed by Sarah Kane is on from the 9th of June to the 25th of June at The Old Fits. Tickets can be found at redlineproductions.com forward slash cleansed. Dino, thank you so much for joining us and thanks for the chat. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. A massive thank you to Carly Fisher and Daniel Cotier for helping to organise today's episode. A big thank you to Carly Fisher, Sonia Kerr and Dino Dimitriatus for joining us on the episode. Tickets for The Sweet Science of Bruising can be bought by searching flightpaththeatre.org. You can find out more about Theatre Travels by going to theatertravels.org. Tickets for Cleansed by Sarah Kane can be bought by searching redlineproductions.com.au forward slash cleansed. All the links and information from today's conversations can be found in the episode description on wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for another episode of the Theatre Thoughts podcast. If you're looking to see more theatre in 2022 and consider yourself to be a writer, why not join our growing team of reviewers? We are currently on the lookout for new writers in Sydney and Melbourne to join our team. You'll gain great experience in writing reviews and expressing your opinions, plus you get to see theatre shows on us. If this sounds like you, email us at team at outlook.com or by contacting us on our website theatretrthoughtsoz.online and we'll see you next time here on the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. <laughs>